All right. Let's get this out of the way first. The thoughts, views, and opinions expressed on Tailboard Talks Firefighter Podcast are solely those of the speakers, guests, and host, and do not in any way represent the thoughts or views or opinions of any other employer, partnership, or sponsor. The material and information in this podcast is for general information purposes only and should be used at the listener's discretion. Here comes the intro. Skip forward 30 seconds if you want to get right to the episode. This is the Tailboard Talk Podcast, the best health, wellness, and lifestyle resource for the fire service. We're using stories, lessons, and tips from the front lines to give a realistic view of what the job can do to us and how we can make it out alive. I'm Chris Morella, a firefighter since 03, medic since 05, full-time since 08, and promoted to lieutenant in 20. I'm also a personal trainer and strength coach, and I'm here to give you the best information and host the best discussions to make us capable and durable both on the job and away from it. So grab a heater, steal some fancy creamer from First Shift, and let's go chat. Hey, what's up, everyone? Chris from Fourth Shift Fitness and the Tailboard Talks Firefighter Podcast. Got another solo episode today, going to be a good one, talking about training, things that we can do better, things that your department might want to do better, Um, just things that I like to do for training. So it's going to be a lot of personal preference today, but I think these things carry a lot of uh, validity based on experience, both with training as a coach and also just with a very aggressive training division at the department I work at. they do a great job, and they got some phenomenal instructors, and from that, I've learned that a lot of stuff that they do aligns with a lot of stuff that Kurt and I did on the fitness front, and so I'm going to share with those, share with you guys today some of the things I really, really appreciate uh, from the fire department training side. So before we do that, though, quick reminder, Spring for Change is starting next week. Uh, that's the joint... Uh, the joint effort with Annette Zapp from Fire Rescue Wellness and myself, which is all about a month of mental health for first responders. And we hit the four points that we believe are the four most important points of firefighter and EMS mental health, which is sleep, nutrition, fitness, and mindfulness. Uh, For the first two weeks is going to be Annette. She's going to go over sleep and nutrition. She's going to give you stuff all week long to improve or give you ways that you can incrementally improve your sleep or improve your nutrition, really low hanging fruit stuff immediately applicable stuff. Um, and then she's going to tie all that back to mental health, how it improves it, how it affects it and how you can use it. And then the second two weeks I'll have fitness and uh, mindfulness or stress reduction or stress management, whatever you want to call it. Same thing, really fundamental stuff, easy takeaways, immediately deliverable and usable information. It'll be a great month. That's coming up next week. That's starting in April. Okay. Also head to the affiliate links in the show notes. Uh, if you just want to donate to the show, it's buy me a coffee. If you want to get some CBD or non-alcoholic beer, I have affiliate links with rescue one CBD and also athletic brewing. So take advantage of that, kick back towards the show a little bit and get yourself some good stuff. All right. On the topics of training. So this is a a large discussion. Um, we're going to talk about it more in the future because the first discussion that needs to take place is what is the the training philosophy of yourself, of your department, of your crew, of your shift. And hopefully they all align, right? But just because they all align doesn't mean they're all necessarily good or uh, I should say beneficial or productive. There's absolutely some departments out there that take a less than um, positive approach towards training or a less than growth mindset approach towards training. And that filters down, right? That makes people apprehensive to train, scared of making mistakes, scared of stepping up and um, putting themselves out there because they know they're going to get either ridiculed or even punished for not being good at a skill. So it depends on what your philosophy on training is. Now, there's the 
the hardcore side of it you can take of like training is an evaluation 100% of the time. And we're not bringing you out here to make mistakes. We're bringing you out here to do a good job because we need to know that you're proficient and uh, professional, right? So that's one extreme example of it where there's no room for error and any mistake will be scrutinized. Uh, it's more an evaluation mindset. Then the other extreme would be like, yeah, we're just going to go do our best and mistakes happen. And that's why we're here is to screw up the fault, the zero fault mentality. And I don't subscribe to that one either. I'm not, I'm nowhere near any of those two extremes. I like the growth mindset mentality when it comes to training. I like that there's a lot of uh, personal professional accountability with training, right? You should, there is a lot of onus on you to keep your skills up and continuously train, but the department also has a hand in providing training for you. So my personal take on training is that it should be there to round off the edges, to take off any just small, sharp points that are stabbing you, you know, to, to polish the diamond a little bit, for lack of a better term. Um, is absolutely a place to learn, right? There's new methods and tactics coming out constantly. And training is absolutely the place to teach those things. If we're just doing refresher training or skill stations or something like that, that should be like, okay, you know how to throw a ladder. Um, you do it proficiently. Here's a little tip or trick that might make it a little bit easier or quicker. It shouldn't be like, okay, here's the basic parts of a ladder. And here's where you should place the ladder on a window for depending on what function you're trying to do. I consider that baseline stuff, academy stuff, um, should be ingrained in you, should be absolutely preset. Uh, when I tell you to throw a ladder as an officer, I don't want to tell you like grab the 24 foot ladder, throw it for rescue, put it underneath, lock it into the sill, should be at a good angle, tie off the halyard, make sure your fly is out. I don't have to tell you all that stuff, right? That's all stuff I determined I consider to be like pre-existing basic function operational information. Now, if something doesn't go well with that, let's absolutely address it, right? Let's bring everything up to what we consider a baseline and keep moving forward. But in the ideal world, just like the example I gave, if I tell you throw a ladder for rescue, we're going to that window. Um, I would hope that the coaching and the training would be like, hey, good job with that. Let's try placing your foot and your leg in this position. You did a good job. It worked. It was efficient. It was safe. Let's try to round off these edges just a little bit to make it even better, right? Um, so that's my personal view on training, okay? It's a place to learn. It's a place to coach, but it should not be ground zero every single time. We should maintain a level of proficiency where we're just kind of polishing the diamond at training. I also view training and the training ground as a very valuable place to standardize and set expectations among leadership, among your crew, among your department. Um, there's been, I mean, countless times I've gone out and done something on the training ground because that's the way my crew did it or that's the way I was taught. And the battalion chief will come up and be like, listen, that's not the way I want that done while you're working for me. I might choose to do A and he wants B done first, right? And in the grand scheme of things, they may be interchangeable, but he likes B done first. So let's just start doing B first. Now B becomes A. Uh, and that's not a big deal. That's a great time to learn and figure that out. And the, obviously the opposite of that would be finding that out on an emergency scene. And now he has to try to correct you or come to you after the fact and say, hey, next time do this. Very, very difficult to make those changes after the fact. Um, very, very hard to make those changes in flow of uh uh, incident or something like that. Much easier to set those expectations and those kind of running orders and the standard operating things earlier. It also lets us standardize that stuff within our crew, right? Maybe you came from a, a crew where the officer is going to tell you exactly where and how and why and each step of how to throw that ladder. And now you're with me and I'm not going to do that. That could be a shock to the system when I tell you just throw a ladder and I walk away from you. So it's a great time to do that. It's obviously extremely valuable at any point in your career, and there's really no reason to stop training. Um, apathy, boredom, frustration, those are all things, 
But at the end of the day, the stakes are much, much higher than almost any other field of employment. And so you cannot like doing it. You cannot like the people you're doing it with, but you got to do it. You have to maintain a level of proficiency and operation that the public can trust on and feel good about calling you out for, right? And you can, and the, the people around you don't feel like you're a wild card because, ah, you're the old guy likes to sit in the chair. I'm sure you can throw a ladder if you had to. That's not, that is not a tactic. That, that's not a tactic on my crew, in my station, and I would hope, um, I would hope that you can take on that mentality and, and uh, agree with me on that one. Even if you are the old guy and it makes you a little bit frustrated. That's my view as a younger lieutenant, so um, don't be surprised now uh, if that comes your way. All right, so a few things that I've used as a coach. Um, Kurt and I agree on these. I, I didn't run this list by him, but this is kind of the way that um, – I've seen coaching go well, and I've seen training sessions go well. I was originally going to assimilate this to fitness as well, but I think we're going to keep it two separate things. You can make some pretty pretty clear parallels with these points, and I might say them once in a while, but we're going to stick to fire department training for this one. Um, the first one is visualization, and this is kind of a tricky one because I don't think it's very common in the term of like, hey, we're going to go do some visualization on uh, running through reps of a house fire, right? That I would say that's pretty uncommon. In fact, I've never heard of it, but in an informal sense, we do this very, very frequently. And the time that came to mind most was in practicing for the promotional exam. I mean, that whole thing is essentially visualization. The entire assessment center is a form of visualization and mock and play and role play and stuff like that. Um, and so there's two different kinds of visualization that I, that I learned about. There's the outcome visualization where you imagine yourself on the podium after winning gold in the Olympics, and then that's what you're, that's what's driving you forward, that visualization, that feeling, um, the emotions that comes with that mental imagery of success. And then there's process visualization where you go through and you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to throw this ladder. So I'm sitting in the back jump seat. Okay, what's my first thing I'm going to do? Am I wearing my pack? Is my mask on my uh, shoulder strap, on my hip strap, connected to my regulator? Where is it? Okay, where are my gloves? Where's my helmet? And you go through each step of that process. Okay, you're getting out. You're going towards the rear of the engine. Where are the ladders? Do I have to bring down the ladder rack? Do I have to go into the rear compartment? Uh, what ladder am I getting? Is it high enough where I can slide it out, keep it halfway in, step underneath it, and walk out the rest of the way? Or do I have to bring it to the ground and then put it back up on my shoulder and go through? And you're visualizing each step, walking through the process. And one of the things I kind of read about with that is that typically – when you visualize, you visualize a successful experience, right? You can purposely visualize failure and try to um, avoid those things. But more often than not, if you just visualize what you're going to do, we're talking about how you're going to do this very well. And what that does for your brain is that you're voluntarily then at that point picking out portions of this thing that are going to go well. So when they happen in real life, your brain will identify those and then try to make those happen, right? So if I visualize myself going to the ladder rack, taking off the roof ladder, scooting the 24 to the edge, getting underneath it with a high shoulder and walking away. Now, as I'm standing front in front of that ladder rack in real life, I can say, oh, there's the roof ladder. I'm going to get that out of the way, then slide it to the You're identifying these things ahead of time that you'll have to do to make yourself or in the operation successful, right? Now, on the lieutenant side of that, we would, the biggest example that we had was doing the 360 on your size up or doing your 360 after your size up. And you can go about a couple ways, right? You can just list off things that you're going to do on your 360. So if I was practicing with Patrick, right, because we did the uh, assessment center prep and uh, testing prep season one, pretty far back now in the, in the thing, but go look for that one. Um, 
you know, I could say, all right, Patrick, and you're doing your 360, what are you looking for? And he could say, I'm looking for victims, uh, gas meters, electric meters to see how many units are in here. I want to soften the building. So if there's windows or doors, I think I can force. I'll try to do that real quick. I'm looking for signs of occupancy, fences that are going to kind of get in the way of hose line advancement. I'm looking for um, heat signatures with a tick. That's one way to do it, right? But you're relying on that list of things to come to mind readily. And if you get out of order on that list or you get interrupted, maybe you don't pick back up where you want to or you skip a few things, right? Or you can do a process visualization with it. You can imagine yourself standing in front of a ranch, single family residential, okay? This ranch is made of brick. This ranch has no fence around it. The door is in the center of the house. The garage is on the right, two-car garage attached. Um, No cars in the driveway. So already you're starting to get an image of this thing, right? And I'm going to say, I'm going to start my 360 going to the right. So I'm going to go towards the D division. As I go towards the right, I'm going to pass in front of the garage door. And the garage door is closed, so there's no real information to get there. In your mind, you can say, oh, are there windows in this garage door? Can I look into the garage from the garage door? And I go to the right more. I'm looking for window wells. I'm looking for maybe a gas meter on that side. I'm probably on the garage side, so the gas meter might be on the back or the other side. I'm going to go around the back. And what can you imagine in your mind there? Can you imagine more window wells? Is there a patio? Is there a slider maybe attached to a dining room or kitchen? Um, Where are the bedrooms? You can start to visualize that walking around the back. There's some higher windows on the corners. Maybe those are bedroom windows because they're above chest highs for privacy. Then you're coming around the other side. So as you start to go around this, you can start looking for these things, and it brings up cues for you. Okay, I'm going to use the tick to look for heat signatures, but I know that glass reflects the tick, so I have to look around the window. And if it's a brick house, I'm not going to get much out of it. This, these are all things that doing process visualization might cue you in on and give you a more comprehensive answer in the assessment, assessment center. But also in real life, as you're walking around, you're like, okay, I'm on the D side, on the garage side. What am I looking for? A man door, windows, uh, probably not going to find the gas coming through the garage. What else am I looking for? So that's just a quick example, right? And it might be not useful for you. Maybe you like just the checkboxing and the, the laundry list of possible things you might see in the outside of a house. But actually putting yourself mentally in that situation and thinking about what what I see as I walk around this house and visualizing as you go around always worked better for me. Uh, it always carried over better for me. And when we do our our uh, first in evolutions or when we have structure fires and I'm tasked with being command and doing a 360, that's how I do it. You're actually walking out and doing it, right? So why wouldn't you visualize yourself actually walking around and doing it for an assessment center or for some sort of evaluation? So that's part one, okay? Obviously more of a personal thing, but you can absolutely do that with your crew. You don't have to sit in a darkened room and, and uh, you know, get everybody into a meditative trance. You can ask somebody like, hey, you're going to go pump this line right now. Uh, the hydrant's 40 feet away. What are you going to do? Take me through each step of it. Some people might be able to be like, okay, I'm going to apply the parking brake, shift to neutral, put it in drive. So, you know, I, all this stuff might come, from, come naturally to some people to clearly and accurately talk your way through it. Other people, as the um, leader of this drill, you might have to be like, okay, uh, it's 40 feet away. What hose are you going to grab to make your connection with the hydrant? Okay. Where on the engine are you going to connect the hose? Okay. And then you connect the connection. So you're going to walk around to which side of the engine for your pump panel. Okay. So you might delete it, right? But you're also going to assist them in that visualization. Either way is fine. It's not everybody's natural ability to just spew out these things and just go on this laundry list of this long diatribe of what they would naturally do. If the information's in there, help them get it out, okay? Help them visualize it because you know visualization is an effective tactic, so help lead them through it. All right, 
Number two, and this is a big one, okay, is building skill on skill. And we've talked about it before with my department. There's a third of the department with less than, less than five years on now out of 135, 40 people, okay? Out of a lot of people, there's a lot of new people. We need to be cognizant and build skill on skill. Now, this is a easily this is one of the ones that's easily assimilated back to fitness, right? Um, if we talk about like teaching a hang power clean, even teaching a deadlift or back squat, there you can start with levels, right? You can start with a, a barbell. I'm sorry, start with a smart, smart guy. Start with a very light dumbbell, maybe one of them. Then go to a kettlebell. Then go to a barbell. Maybe a trap bar first. You know, you can go through these steps of things to increase the intensity and complexity. Excuse me. You can go through several different steps to increase the intensity and complexity of the movement as you go through. But you're starting with the fundamental movement pattern, right? Same thing with firefighting drills. It'd be very difficult to to tell a new person, listen, I want you to um, do this evolution that's 15 steps long from front to back without any assistance go. It'd be great if it was possible, right? First, we're going to work on just getting to the roof to do vertical vent. So show me you can assemble the correct tools, throw the ladder, climb up the holding tools, and get on the roof. That's skill number one. Okay, so let's practice that first. And I pick on vert- vertical vent because it's a lot. It's a tricky thing. There's a lot of steps to it. You can screw it up easily. You can be put yourself in a bad spot real quick. Um, I also pick on it because everybody practices cutting a hole. Very few crews and people practice getting to the hole first, right? So we had an acquired structure last year. And um, they said, go for it. You have a month to, to work on these two-story houses. It was a two-story house. It's probably about 3,500 square feet, so a lot of roof space. Uh, my crew went out there three times, and each time we worked on individual fundamental steps of complex tasks. So what we did the first time was I said, okay, we're going to work on vertical vent today. We're going to do six evolutions. Here's my plan, six evolutions, okay? The first three evolutions are just from engine sets the parking brake and getting to the gutter line that's what we're doing okay so we're gonna do it three times we're gonna get off ready to go i'm gonna get my tools i'm gonna do a 360 you're gonna meet me at the whatever a division with a ladder we're gonna practice doing what we need to do throwing it extending it carrying tools to the gutter line and then that's it come back down break it down put everything back ish more or less just away from the building um we're gonna do that two more times the fourth time, we're going to do that and then go up to the roof, and we're going to be on the roof for three evolutions of cutting stuff, okay? If we don't practice the three times before that, and I'll tell you, we found out some very valuable things in the first three evolutions. I forgot the pike pole once on the on the ground, so both of us were on the ladder. I was ready to get off the ladder onto the roof line. As the officer, I got off first, um, and I left the pike pole back by the engine. Whoops, right? So now the entire evolution has to stop to go get the pike pole and come back, Um the second time we worked on how are we going to carry our hand tools and what hand tool do you want to carry. So we played around with like sticking it in your belt, carrying a truck in his belt, putting using your hand, you know, getting up the ladder while your tick and your mask are hanging off you with this tool in your hand. By the third time we were pretty well ironed out, right? But if we just skip it and go right to, hey, we're cutting a hole, let's just get the stuff up there, grab a saw, we're just going to go up there, we'll figure out, we'll talk up there and just cut some holes. If we just do that, we miss all the training before that. So we build skill on skill. It has a long way to explain it, but we build skill on skill so that you know that your foundation is solid and you have a better chance of once you get to the crucial skill, you're not kind of hamstrung by uh, making a making a mistake early on that you'll realize later. Okay. 
don't jump ahead with your new guys. Don't jump ahead with your training. Build skill on skill. Make sure you have the fundamentals down before you start getting extremely uh, elaborate in your drills and your what ifs and all this stuff. Take it slow. You got a long career. Get the fundamentals down because we can always fall back on those if something goes wrong. But if you skip those in pursuit of this flashy, um, extreme, exotic stuff, we'll be in the wind in no time. In the wind, not in the wind. We'll be in the wind in no time. All right, let's see. The third thing I have, okay, and this is a tough one, but because it takes a couple things. It takes an atmosphere of kind of an educational and growth atmosphere. Um, it takes the right people in the coaching positions. It takes the right approach while you're doing it, but it's inter-rep coaching. So while the rep is going on, at, while the simulation or the scenario is going on, coaching within the drill, um, it's tricky, okay? Because I've, I've had it done wrong to me before and I've seen it done wrong where the wrong thing is focused on and there were other more obvious and more beneficial things that were missed, but the, the instructor was too excited to point out something wrong in the moment. And that was the main issue is they were excited about pointing out something wrong instead of thinking, how could I make this go better for this person? Okay. Um, this is a tough one. And I want to kind of define it first. What this would be is let's say that you and I are going in to do a search. We're going to go in and do a primary. And I, as the officer, um, you know, it's a smoking environment or a dark environment. And I say, hey, you're going to do a left-hand search. Uh, we're not using the tick for this one. I just want you to do a left-hand search. Go for it. Okay. And I kind of lose sight of you, but I'm the oriented person back at the door. So I know where I am. I know where you're going. It's, we're all good. I can't see exactly what you're doing. Right. And I hear a bunch of commotion going on. And then you come back to me eventually. And we go on to the next room. And the proctor inside of that room might come up to us afterwards and say, hey, when you were doing that search, uh, you never really bounced off the wall. Your sweep patterns weren't very efficient. Um, you're going way too slow. Uh, you, you came to a bed, you didn't check on top of it. Um, what else? There was a closet, you didn't open it and look inside and sweep behind the, the door. You didn't close the door afterwards, all this other stuff, right? That's a lot of stuff to absorb along the way. Now, if you're watching this thing, as a proctor inside this drill and you see this person do a couple things and you're like, okay. And then they get to the bed and they don't sweep on, on top of the bed. This kind of blaze through it. You can, what I would expect and what I would hope you could do is say, okay, wait, stop. You just passed a bed. Go back. Let's just sweep on top of the bed real quick. See if there's anybody up there, check for victims and then sweep underneath it and then keep going, get back to the door. Right. That, in my opinion, is extremely beneficial because the chances of, that person or you, next time you go into a room and you're about to do a search and you think back to, okay, what am I supposed to do? What are the chances you're going to remember the six things that that instructor told you the first time? Like, oh, okay, last time I didn't bounce off the wall very far. Uh, my search sweeps weren't very good. Uh, I passed a bed. What was I supposed to do with the bed? And there's a closet or something like that. Instead of I'm going around, oh, there's a bed. Okay. I remember I'm supposed to sweep on top of this bed and keep going. Now, over the course of five or six evolutions or a couple months of training, maybe all six of those points get taken care of. Maybe they don't. Maybe one of them is very difficult for that person to get down, but it's on the radar and we're coaching at least, right? But worst case scenario, next time they do a search for real, they're going to remember to check the bed, which is an extremely crucial part of this thing. So interrupt coaching can be extremely valuable compared to just having a laundry list of faults afterwards. Now I say it takes the right people and the right approach because this is not the kind of thing that should stop an entire drill. This isn't an all-stop kind of thing of like, all right, everybody wait. Stop doing everything. I got to talk to so-and-so about how to do a search. That's not one of those. It's a quick 
one to two sentences. Hey, do this real quick. And then what we're going to do afterwards is you're going to show me a good rep where you do it really, really well. And we're out of here. And that can be after the fact, a second evolution or whatever, something like that. Um, but it takes also the instructor that can do that kind of thing. And then the person receiving it, that can trust that instructor that like, oh, great, this guy picked me off with something stupid I did. He's going to talk about it the whole, now the whole time or make an example out of me or, or uh, I'm never going to hear the end of it. That would be a bad thing, right? So inter-rep coaching, I think, is an extremely valuable thing. Now you have to have the, the willingness to do several, multiple reps on this thing um, and the crew that will go along with that also but i view that as an extremely valuable way to do this stuff all right a bonus one okay um i've got back to my notes here a bonus one end on a good rep now this one is a fitness one too right Uh, if we had someone struggling with a back squat or a deadlift and they push the weights pretty high or they were just not having a good day with it i would always do my best to take some weight off or cue them to end on a good rep even if it was two-thirds of the working weight they were struggling with, right? Back it off. Let's get a good feeling getting out of here. So do one excellent one, one set of great ones, and we'll, we'll leave on a good note. Um, same thing for, for training, right? Hey, we struggle throwing those ladders. I'll tell you what. Let's take a 24-foot ladder, two-person throw, and just throw it to the second-floor window really clean, really fast. We know we got that skill. Let's end on a high note, and then we'll get out of here. I see that as a, a great thing to do. If you're struggling, right, you can always highlight portions of the drill or portions of the evolution that went well, even though the whole thing might have been kind of a mess, right? Hey, you didn't throw the ladder that well, and we're, we're going to work on that. But your ability to get off the rig fast, get the right ladder or the correct ladder and get it to where it needed to go, that was really good. So we know we have that, and I feel confident that once we get the ladder there, or once we get to the scene, I know you're going to pick the right ladder and get it to the right spot, and we'll I'll help you get it up. That's okay. Ending on a high note, highlighting something good, highlighting something that did well, something to work on, no doubt. Um, set that expectation. We're not done working on this. We, we Now we know there's kind of an issue, so we're going to get good at it. And next time we come by, we'll blow it out of the water, and we'll figure out something else we need to work on. That's the mentality and the environment that I think we have in my department, uh, thanks to a lot of work by our training division. And I think it's a great one. I think it works really well. Uh, we get a lot of benefit out of it. We get a lot of participation, a lot of ideas. Um, and I just like it. I like the situation I'm in with our training department. At my, I'm not a part of it. I'm not part of it. Um, I am a part of it. I'm, <laughs> I'm separate from it. But I'm just saying, we're in a good spot. So I appreciate that from those guys. If any of you guys are listening, thank you for working so hard on that and uh, being professionals with it. And I think it's working. So keep it up. All right. So that was a little bit longer than I expected. I hope you guys like it. Um, if you do like it, check out the affiliate links. Go get yourself some CBD or non-alcoholic beer or just donate to the show. Buy me a coffee button is live and rock and rolling. Um, had some donations last week. So thank you, Matt Keneally. Very awesome of you to throw coffee away. Thank you, Rosa. Definitely appreciate that. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for liking what you're hearing. And thank you for donating. All right. Until next time, guys, let's all keep working on being towards. Oh, boy. Messed it up again. I was thinking I got sidetracked real quick there. All right. Let's all working on. Jeez Louise. Be more capable and durable on shift and away from it. Thanks. Bye-bye.